I'm Nate in Colorado. And I'm James in London. And I'm Rochella in North Carolina. And we are Friends in Formation, a podcast where three very different friends take your questions about life and faith with the goal of listening, learning, and helping one another go deeper with God. Friends and Formations produced by Renovare, an ecumenical Christian renewal effort that offers resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. We'd really love for you to join the conversation. So if you have a question, email it to us. Send it to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org. Hey, and if we use your question in an episode, we will send you a Friends in Formation coffee mug. But anyway, it's a cool mug with the Friends in Formation logo. It's so fun to think that we have a little network of people now all drinking coffee or tea out of this fun little mug, enjoying life together. So look, we've had some wonderful questions as always and it's incredibly hard to pick what we're going to explore together we've got as usual three coming up in this episode and the first one is a really classic question which we get asked a great deal what is the difference between spiritual formation and discipleship and this has come from Hajil who's asked us, what is the difference between spiritual formation and discipleship? Either of you like to have a first um, stab at that one. I, I'm really interested to hear your answers. Rochella does. Oh, come on. I was going to say Nate does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not super confident in, in what I have to say, so I genuinely like to hear one of you guys go first. You know, that is a good question, especially right now, I feel like, I've heard so many people use the terms interchangeably. And I I guess I can understand that people might use the terms interchangeably. For one thing, in some churches, I think discipleship is sort of a program. And folks have said, oh, let's switch to the more current program term (laughs) of spiritual formation. But I would argue that Neither one is primarily a program. That's just what we do to things to to kill them. (laughs) Discipleship, though, I would say is the noun form of the term disciple. And disciple is a word that um, we see used in some translations of the Bible to mean follower or student, or as our friend Dallas used to like to say, apprentice. He said that he would rather we call those who are imitators of Christ apprentices to Jesus instead of using an older word, disciple. But a follower, someone who seeks to learn from a master, is a disciple. So you could be an art student trying to imitate the work of an art master. You would study the art. You would try to use the same kind of brushes. You would use the same medium. You would try to make your lines look like whatever. In fact, often you'll see pieces of art that are designated after so-and-so. They're not the works of the master, but they're in the style of the master. That's a way of describing someone who is a disciple of the master. So in this context, 
discipleship is following the master, Jesus. Right? So are you saying that they are terms you can just use interchangeably? I mean, is it? No, I think they are being a, used it, interchangeably, but I don't think they're they using should be. Mm-hmm. They yeah. are. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think of disciple, follower of Jesus. This is an intentional uh, choice. It's an identity. It's who I am. Disciple, Jesus, apprentice. And then I think of spiritual formation as the process of change. The process of mm-hmm. which we become more like Jesus. And lots of ways to do that, but a real simple way is doing what Jesus did, doing different spiritual practices, and then the Holy Spirit works within us a change. So to me, the disciple becomes formed into the image of Christ. So I, I think I'm as different, but yet quite similar. Well, related, right? What you what you just described was the relationship, the disciple of Jesus is the person who is being formed in the way of Jesus. And spiritual formation is the process that the disciple is going through. Yeah, I can live with that. Mm -hmm. I like that. And one of the things that's been important, I think, in the circles that I've been exposed to is that the word discipleship sometimes is so overused or so used in certain Mm -hmm. ways that it almost has lost its profound significance. You know, follow me. That happens, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It does. So we overuse it and it almost sort of takes the impact of it out of it. So, And I think that we've sort of used the apprentice idea as a way not really to say this is different to discipleship, but just to come at it with a fresh pair of eyes, an mm-hmm. apprentice, whether it's a carpenter or an mm-hmm. electrician or, you know, artist, um, you know, student of Jesus, you're trying to say, now, how did he do that? What happened? And I'm pretty convinced in the early church, many of them were certainly within a generation or two of Jesus. And they began, now, how did he do that? How did Jesus pray? Mm-hmm. What did he say in this situation? And they're trying to sort of think through. And that's the sort of thing an apprentice would do. How did they operate in this way? And I like your point, Rochelle. I don't think it's necessarily true in the word, but sometimes the way the word is used is it's sometimes mm-hmm. the discipleship is used as a program mm-hmm. rather than a process. And that's not necessarily true of the word, but sometimes in the context we use it, we have a discipleship program or term. Well, we never really come to the end of it and we've got to keep at it. I do like the scripture, Paul's Galatians 4, when he says, my dear children, of whom I again in pains of childbirth, unless until Christ is formed in you. And this sort of idea of this is this is the agenda is the forming of Christ with this. Whether you call it spiritual formation or the apprenticeship, it's still this idea of how do you get Jesus into you so that your interior or my interior begins to resemble the interior of Jesus. Because once it does, then I'll start to do the sorts of things that Jesus did, not because I remembered a code or got a formula, but Mm -hmm. just because 
who I am on the inside begins to come out. Yeah, James, that is so right. I mean, what we're talking about for us is a process of transformation because we want to become more like Jesus. We're, we're not trying to check off a box or you know, go through a program. We actually want our hearts to change. And that, I think, so spiritual formation, if you, if you want to define it as a program, you're not going to get to the real definition of it, I don't think. If, if I have to give a definition, I, I say it is the, the spirit-driven, so capital S, spiritual formation, the spirit-driven process, an intentional process of followers of Christ cooperating with one another and with the Spirit of God in taking steps toward becoming more like Christ himself. And in that process, I think their souls are nurtured. This is, this is not a process of we want to, you know, grit our teeth and try to do X, Y, and Z, because that's what the curriculum says we must do. And we want our hearts to change so we can gladly and happily and in a way, just naturally do the kinds of things that Jesus did. Rochelle, I really like that you got a good laugh out of the statement of programs or what we do to kill good things. And that just resonates for me. Yet at the same time, what do churches do that are trying to you know, implement processes and groups mm-hmm. and such mm-hmm. to, to help people become more like Jesus? Is there a way to do that that doesn't have that soul-crushing, utilitarian sense of program? What do they do? That's the question, isn't it? What do you actually do if you want to help yourself and others around you enter into this life-giving process? What do churches actually do so that they don't just reduce it to a soul-crushing program? They go hang out together. (laughs) A lot of this is relational, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But I remember when I was working with um, you know, students years and years ago, um, when I was an interfacity worker, I remember doing what I thought was the most spectacular training series on how to share your faith with you know others. And I did this thing. It was it was you know I was so proud of myself, <laughs> and <laughs> I said, right, I'll leave it with you then, everybody. Body, and I'll come back the following, you know, after Christmas or whatever and see how you're doing. So I came back and I said, oh, it's going really well. We're having the most fantastic. I said, oh, that's really great. So what are you doing? Oh, well, we're doing exactly what you showed us. I said, oh, great. What was that? It says, well, we're now running a class on how to tell other people <laughs> about Jesus for other people. And of course, because that's what I taught them. I taught them how to run a class on telling other people about Jesus, but I hadn't actually taught them how to do, how to do it because mm-hmm. I didn't model it. I wasn't with them with it. I wasn't mm-hmm. out there, and you know, it was just a very. I found it a very humbling experience. That. That's a great example, James. Because to your point, Nate, what what do you do? You hang out together. I think what what churches can do is create space for people to be together 
and maybe offer some prompts, maybe have a class, <laughs> but maybe just introduce people into making, let's say, prayer a priority in their lives and give them space to talk about what's happening when they talk to God and see what happens. It's life together. That's it. Life together. And there does need to be a bit of new structure. Let's not be so sort of anti-courses. No, right. And we're not anti that. But it's just having lots of grace, lots of space, lots of relaxed conversation, lots of learning from each other. And there isn't a teacher-pupil relationship here. It's we're in this together. You know, you may have only just um, stumbled into the kingdom of God, and I can learn off you. You know, you can show me. In fact, you're probably, you could well be further ahead on some of these issues. So, yeah. I like the attention on life. And it occurred to me that program as we know it is really a modern invention. And, mm. and we cringe at it because it can have the potential to have a dehumanizing you know, boxed up thing about it. Jesus taught, you know, formally, but with the disciples, we're back to that word, it was relational. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I just can't picture Jesus creating a little program for the 12, but rather life, right? Living mm -hmm. life together. Life together. You just said something, James, that has prompted a thought. You said it's not a teacher-pupil relationship, but it's all of us together. So there is a teacher but it isn't me. It's Jesus. And the rest of us are all in the pupil's seat. So we're going to all learn together from Jesus. And maybe that's the posture for us to approach when we do teach, right? Mm -hmm. Like when, because there are good settings and all of us mm -hmm. actually, yeah. you know, teachers of some sort, but that posture of I'm a mediator, I'm journeying with you in this, right? Jesus is the teacher. Hey guys, I have a question I want to share that comes from Allison. This question, I think, is one that all of us have probably asked ourselves at times in different ways, but listen to this. She says it beautifully. Dwight Moody says, character is what you are in the dark. My early morning, just woken up thoughts are often fearful, negative, and sometimes bitter. Once I focus on, say, Psalm 23, the Lord's Prayer, or some other quiet spiritual reading reflection, I feel the bubbling bitterness leaving me. And as the day unfolds, I do pray, reflect, and ask Jesus to be with me. I'm worried, however, that the real me is to be found in those first angry thoughts. Can I reach a point where these thoughts don't feature without suppressing them through gritted teeth? Oh, do I ever empathize with Allison? She is worried that the real her is the worst of herself. Can you help? It's interesting as you read that, Rochelle, because at the core of it is that last piece, the real me. I don't necessarily have anything to say on that, although I might come around on it. But the process of thoughts and what we do with them just in and of itself, that could say a few things about that. Largely, we don't have a lot of control over what thoughts come in our head, although I'll say a bit on how I do think we can control that. But for the most part, thoughts just pop. 
And the issue to me is what we then do with it. Mm-hmm. Do we meditate on it? Right. And that's kind of what I'm hearing in that. Or, or do we, as Paul says, hold our thoughts captive? And that's the process for me. The thought comes and I go, oh, oh, there you are. And now I have a decision. Uh, am, am I going to meditate on that? Is this something that is dangerous for me? Right. That's a dangerous place to go. Sometimes I'll even put it in, in a sin category that at this point, Nate, for you to continue to think about this or that, even though it might be somewhat innocuous to others, is something I just need to avoid at all costs. In terms of if there's anything we can do for the thoughts, to me, that's spiritual formation, that the, the process of becoming more like Jesus, of doing practices that Jesus did, that over time, uh, this begins to change what thoughts pop in my mind, right? And how I'm spending my time and what I'm focusing on helps, you know, shape some of that. Although I will say sometimes those thoughts are warning signs or like the engine light of something that needs attention. And so just ignoring it and spiritualizing it, I think could be, could be dangerous to do. Oh, Nate, you just made a couple of super good points. And I'll see if I can, can take us back to them because I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you just said. Number one, just because a thought presents itself to your mind does not necessarily mean that you have sinned. A thought can just pop into your mind and that sin can result from that, that it depends on what you do with the thought, whether you have sinned or not. However, having said that, two things. One, we learned that some of those are actually a warning of something much bigger, and we dare not just ignore them. We, we look into what's behind it. But the second thing is sometimes continuing to think about whatever the thought was can actually, your thoughts can become sinful if you let them. Is, is that what you were saying? That you that sometimes you have to nip the thought in the bud as an, an act of faithfulness. You're, you're going to stop having that thought as much as you can, but it kind of depends on what the thought is. I like what you said, though, that this is what we're after in spiritual formation is to become the kind of person who over the course of years doesn't have those thoughts popping up anymore. That's what we can become. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we can become. But we're not there yet necessarily. And we don't have to berate ourselves for not being there yet. We can be on, on the journey. Yeah, let's be compassionate about this. Perfection isn't the issue. It's progress, progress. um, (laughs) Thank you, James. Did you hear that? He just corrected himself, Nate. He said, (laughs) not progress, progress. We we are taking notes on your Britishisms. (laughs) I'm trying my best. But I think I would just add a couple of things. Thoughts. One of the things that's been most helpful to me in my own journey has been to learn that you can learn to wake up in the morning praying. I never thought, I mean, and I'm the last person to think this, but but I think there's it's certainly been helpful to me. It takes some practice, but you know, habits don't actually take that long to form. So if I was to not clean my teeth every day when I get up, I would need to concentrate really hard 
because it's so automatic. I just walk mm-hmm. into the bathroom. I have to say, now, James, don't go in there. Don't pick up your toothbrush. Don't squeeze the toothbrush. Don't put that in your mouth. Don't, t-. you know, you'd have to work really because it's just ingrained into me. And I found, and I know other people have, and I'm no great expert on this, but I found that you can actually train yourself to wake up praying. It sounds incredible if you don't do it, but honestly, you can just be, as you're coming around a scripture that you're working on, or the Lord's Prayer, or Psalm 23, as we've heard from the questioner today, Mm -hmm. has been very helpful to learn Mm -hmm. your scripture. So in one way, I'd say, keep doing what you're at. Exactly. It's it's great. On the other hand, I think I would also want to add, yes, as one of you said, you know, there there may be some issue underneath it all. There may be something worth exploring a bit further because if fearful, fearfulness is a really eats away at you, fear, you know, and I just want to say maybe there's an opportunity to just work on that a bit and see where that's coming from. What, What is that showing you? It's not too blunt a way of saying it, follow the pain <clears throat> at times. It's, it's you know, the pain is telling you something. If I've got a pain, a, f- a physical pain, it's an indicator of something else. So follow the pain. You referred at the beginning of darkness, and I'd say don't be afraid of the dark. Mm-hmm. Probably the answer to what you're struggling with is in the dark. So let's sort of just have a go at that and see. Now, I think you can do both. I think you can do these practices that help to contain it and the things you said about that, you know, we take the thought captive, we don't give a second look, we try to wake up praying and we won't do it well every night and every morning it's, it's, you know, it's, it went... But whilst learning those things, also work on the undergrowth that is catching fire. I think I'd want to be looking at that. Where is that fear coming from, bitterness, the negative spirit? But in gentle ways, you know, know, James, where is that coming from? What's that about? And in natural, gentle, graceful ways, just exposing it, just bringing it out and not condemning ourselves because of it. I found these ways very helpful. Uh, I think you're on to something important there, James, the not condemning yourself. I, I am feeling from Allison, as she says, she's afraid that the real her is the one who is bitter. I think maybe it's a good idea to remember that the real you is to use the words of our friend Jim Smith, the real you is one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And the real you is the one who who's still struggling with some fear or anxiety or bitter thoughts. But the real you is also one who is not alone. The real you is one with Christ as a constant companion who is desiring to become more like Christ and is making progress or progress, either one. But, you know, I just, I, I, I hear the loneliness in this. I'm afraid that who I am in the dark is actually not lovable, not good, not who 
she's supposed to be. And I would say, from that comes bad fruit. Please recognize that the real you is someone, yes, who still has a long way to go, but right where you are, you are God's beloved. God loves you, has adopted you as his child, will never stop loving you, and will be with you to help you and teach you and help you change. But you will never not be loved, even while you are in process. What I'm hearing on the real you, the little we know about Allison, is she desires to be different so badly that she took the time to send us a question. Mm -hmm. That's quite beautiful. One of the ways I'll take this is, yes, I'm a mess. Like, yeah. And that means I dependence. Like I mm-hmm. genuinely need interventions to, to become the person that I, I, I want to become. And that's okay. You know, I had just one thing to add, James, on the um, waking up praying. One thing I found helpful is if I go to bed praying, I wake mm. up praying. But <laughs> I just, when it happens... I, I don't know how much of that I can own because it is an impulse. You know, sure, there's a habit or there's a, but man, that's just a gift from God that I'm grateful, you know, to have. And I don't mean praying a list of requests. I mean, no. relation. I mean, relating to Jesus, whether it's releasing my day to him rather than trying to tell him what he must do for me during my day, I'm releasing my day to him saying, I can't control. I can't get to work on time. I can't control the traffic. I can't control that meeting. I'm releasing that conversation to you, that difficult thing. You know, rather than demanding, I'm releasing. And I find that's a helpful thing, or thanking him or turning over some issue with him. But it it is prayer is conversation with God, you know, rather than a list of demands. The verse Galatians 5, 1, you know, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I don't think we should resile from that or hold back from saying, Lord, I want to be free. You know, there's so many other things that we think Paul should have said. We, you know, it is for giving money to the church that Christ has set us free, <laughs> or it's for converting everybody on our street that Christ has set us free. It's for everything else but me. But he says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, and that's the invitation. And we simply pray, Lord, will you help me in this? these issues I'm working on, and start to look and be open to them. They'll often come in unexpected ways, and it may not happen instantly, but I'm expecting some progress. There you go. (laughs) There you go, progress. (laughs) Well, and later in that same chapter of Galatians, Galatians 5 that you referenced, is the admonition just to, to keep in step with the Spirit. I mean, that's indicative of progress of just like we talked about with the first question of the process we we are on we're journeying with Jesus and we will make progress as we go along and some days it will be through gritted teeth but not every day and more and more we will do it 
with a smile on our faces. This question just reminds me of the sorts of questions that people used to write to the sort of spiritual giants over. It's reminiscent of this old French spiritual author, Francois Fellinon, who um, was a... Been alive, right? And that's the American way to say it. And he was a French Catholic, a high church Catholic in the 1800s, I think. And he used to write back to people who were saying, he said, just, you know, just relax. Don't, don't worry so much over it. I mean, I found him so compassionate over people who'd write to him over these kind of issues. And I might have said this in previous podcasts, but these guys are often much kinder to us than we are to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We we always think these great people are going to be much more judgmental and earnest and everything else. And actually, they're often much more, hey, it's okay. You're going to make progress and you're going to do well and it's going to be okay. And I'm not trying to say we shouldn't be thinking about these things. I think Jesus is very interested in these things. And I think he's been very interested in these kind of things when I've had to work on them. He does, you know, help us. Yes, I love everything you guys are saying. The one thing that occurred to me in this, and I'm really grateful for the question and your guys' mm-hmm. words because it, it it brought this forward. For me, waking up praying is just as simple as saying hi. I just, I turn my gaze. It's just opening mm. the conversation. Hi, there you are. Here I am. Right. right. And, then, and then maybe I'll start to review the day and think about different things, but that feels really free to me and simple. So you wake up and there's God right there with you. I have a question. This one comes to us from Anne. And she starts out by saying, this is not a question. Or I don't have a question. So, um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. What, what I think I take from it is more just a point of discussion, something for us to think about. And she's saying, make some reference to how our virtual life has just grown exponentially through the years and seems to continue mm. social shopping, work, school, and then church. And, and this piece of we're moving towards where our spiritual interactions are often online. And what is the role of place? What is the role of space? I think kind of what I'm hearing in it, or maybe this is my question is, you know, is that good? Is it bad? Should we embrace it? Should we not? What, what, what do we do with this modern challenge we now have? I'm very challenged by this question. I, I think it really hits on a very contemporary issue. And what mm-hmm. interests me is how quickly place has now changed, how rapidly we've moved from the physical space to the virtual space. Often when things happen at speed, we, we don't take the time or we haven't had the time to really think through, is this what we want? Is this how we want to live now? You know, I've said this in the past, but people who move from physical space, you know, your street, your community, your local stores, your shopping area, your church, the church at the end of the street. I mean, 
you know, sometimes think half the cars on the road on a Sunday are people crisscrossing a city to get to the church they want to go to, and they drive past eight other churches on the way to get there. Right. Well, that that's a bit of an old joke now, because, of course, we're not getting in our cars now. We're just going on screen, and we're just hooking up with the church we want to get to. And and some churches have, have exploded in numbers of people because they're attracting an audience from around the world. And you think, well, that's got to be good, hasn't it? But I think the question raises some other issues. I mean, when when Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us not neglect meeting together, as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you think we can meet together on screen? What does to meet together mean? I just, I'm just intrigued by that. You know, so here's my joke on this. I've seen a cartoon, and you've probably seen it, where Jesus is sat on a park bench, and Jesus is on this park bench, and he leans across to some young guy on the park bench and says, when I said follow me, I didn't mean on Twitter. <laughs> right. And I just wonder whether there's something there about our on-screen life. Because if you pull out of your physical space, your street, your community, if you're middle class and affluent and often white, you're going to be just fine. Mm. You're going to be fine. You're going to find your people and you're going to do your thing. But not everybody has that privilege. So you withdrawing your physical presence from your local community, including church, but not just church, I think you'll probably be all right. It's just everybody else that isn't. They're going to lose your education, your skills, your engagement, your experience, your the things from your job that you bring to the community, to your engagement with running Little League and, you know, scouts and, you know, all the rest of it. You're going to miss out. They're going to miss out. You're going to be just fine. And if you've left your church, and I know the sensitivities, and we've talked about this in the past, but my concern is that we can leave our locality, our physical place, with often very high ethical, you know, it's so boring, my my village or my street or my church, the worship is so poor. Well, that's great for you, you know, but it's the messiness of life in a physical space that Jesus mm-hmm. is calling us to. Now, mm-hmm. we've each got to work it out for ourselves. And I'm not trying to make a hard and fast position here, but let's be careful with this. Let's be careful. James, what you just said reminds me of a conversation I had recently with a woman who owns a small business here in my town of Durham. I think her parents or grandparents founded this business 60 years ago, and it's still a small family-owned business, and she's trying to make go of it. She's trying to be faithful to continue to serve the community and to be a a good member of the community as a business owner. And it's been really frustrating for her to have lost a lot of customers to online businesses because, you know, it's so convenient to order things online. And she said, what I wish I could tell people is if they drive down the street and their tire hits a pothole, don't complain about the pothole if you're doing all your shopping online. And I thought, what, what? 
And then she went on to say, if you're doing all your shopping online, then your local business is not realizing the revenue, not paying the tax on that. I mean, so clearly some sales tax is generated that hope you hope some of it goes to your local community. But when we support one another's businesses or scout troop or little league or whatever, all, all the goodness is going to real people right here in my life, even if that means filling potholes. I think her point's a good one. Rather than going to fill the coffers of someone else's business. Now, clearly the people on the other side of the screen are real people. You know, we we bring our actual selves to our online interaction. And I think one of one of the real dangers with on, online interaction is that we can we can come pretty close to Gnosticism. We, we, we can come close to disembodiment of either of ourselves or of the people on the other side of the screen if we're not careful. So I'm not saying that online interactions are not real. I think they are. And I think we have to approach them thoughtfully and make sure that we're bringing our full selves and recognizing the other people on the other side as image bearers. But there's something about the friction of real life interaction. That's really important to the way we are formed. If I'm in the room with you, then I am impacted by your presence and accountable to your needs in a very different way than if I'm just on the other end of a screen. And it can be really nice not to feel that accountability, but in the long run, it's not good for us. You just said something, Rochelle, that spurred an idea for me that as helpful as it can be, there's a safety to it and and the online communication that can lack a sort of vulnerability. And that can be good. And many people like that, right, at times, Mm -hmm. but it also has some, some real challenges to it. When we inhabit someone else's space, it's just, it's very, very different. I, I recently got a subscription to National Geographic. Oh, wow. Uh, the print version. And I get very excited when that little uh, yellow magazine comes. And I love looking at the pictures, but it's not the same as being there, right? It's mm-hmm. just, it's important and it's helpful. And I find, right, good in it, but it genuinely is not the same. Now, what's really good about, you know, some of these shifts in in our society is, you know, for folks who don't have access or Mm -hmm. disabilities, it just creates a robust life for people who otherwise wouldn't necessarily have have had one. That's right. And that's important. Oh, it's huge. It's absolutely huge because it becomes a lifeline for for people. And certainly during, you know, pandemic stuff, this is Mm-hmm. <laughs> Many of us, all we've all we've had in terms of the spiritual piece, that's that's a thing that really interests me in terms of will people go back to church, right? Mm-hmm. Are people going back to church, and what does it look like in terms of our spiritual interactions and the 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 fellowship of the brain heart? We have a number of groups who meet online. Now it was designed to meet in person, but the online groups, I mean, it works. It mm-hmm. really works, but it's not the same, you know. You know, Nate, something you just said is important to me because it occurred to me that, yeah, online stuff does work. And in some ways it works better than face-to-face if you define better as quicker, more convenient, more seamless, less trouble, right? 
that's the the thing that's a little scary to me is that it can we can come to define our our lives by what is most convenient rather than what is most rich what is most in the end fulfilling or what is most challenging you know if if i'm looking for ease then i'm going to live my entire life online i can just do things at the touch of a button and <laughs> And it does work with these tools. And you're right, James, to point out that for those of us who have the resources, it works really well. Maybe sometimes it works too well. But I've heard a conversation. Someone was planning a, uh, a birthday party for a friend. And the friend said, and you hear this a lot. The friend said, oh, don't go to any trouble. You've heard people say that, haven't you? Oh, I don't want you to go to any trouble. But the one planning the party said, are you kidding? Trouble is what it's all about. <laughs> and that has stuck with me because I think that's right. That's where the, the joy is. I mean, God is relationship. And, and we're made in the image of God to be in relationship. And in relationship, trouble that we tend to put in a negative context, trouble is what it's all about. I want to be troubled by you. And it's not troubling. It's good. I I want to have to take your needs into account. I want to have to cover my mouth when I cough because I don't, I don't want to splatter you. I need, I want to have to (laughs) scoot over at the table and make room for you. You know, that's what, because not only is that good for you, but it's good for me to have to make the effort. Yeah. And sometimes the trouble is taking extra time to get in a car, right? Or to walk to see someone. To me, the key difference is input. Like, this isn't it kind of a cliche where people have spent lots of times meetings or what whatnot online that I'm exhausted. I'm I'm tired from it. And and I think that's because in person there's a synergy, there's a there's an input that occurs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And really interesting to me that. Our conversation, the three of us, before we pushed record, is we were looking at the calendar and we saw we're all going to be together this summer. And, and Lord willing. And, <laughs> yeah, Lord willing. Um, and immediately we went to, hey, let's record, you know, an episode uh, live together, even though our time there is, it, it'll be a task to pull mm-hmm. away from other activities to be together. But we just know, right? That's different. You're right. Yeah. These things aren't easy. And I hope nobody thinks we're making a hard and fast line on these things. But we're just Mm. saying, yeah, let's be careful with this. We have an opportunity for a short period to go to a church we haven't been to because of where we live. And so for a short period, we can go to this church and we were looking at it. And I was speaking to the person in charge who said, you know, we'd love to have you to come even for a few weeks, but do understand this is not an easy church. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, we're working with the people on the edges of society, the marginalized, you know, people with health issues, mental health issues. Sometimes they shout out, in the services and it can get very untidy and she says so there's lots of other options of much safer places for you to go just be aware and I'm thinking how interesting what an interesting choice we've got to make you know what do we do and I I don't think I want to say there is one answer for this Mm -hmm. but maybe this is our chance to go to a, a church that's not 
tidy the whole of the while. And that might be what the Holy Spirit's asking us to um, you know, step into. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. You mean not tidy in the uh, visual sense, right? Uh, in that moment, right? Because... <laughs> None of this is tidy in a sense. Right, <laughs> right yeah. Are, are you going to go, James? Have you, you and Sue decided? Well, we haven't made a decision yet. <laughs> we haven't made a decision yet. And it does depend on lots of things. But I'm drawn. I mean, the, the churches mm-hmm. I'm drawn to in the particular area we're going to be are all the more marginalized and edgy places, often the more interesting. So I think it's a challenge we all have. And please, I'm not saying people should leave their churches. I'm just saying we need to include some of these issues in the process of where do we go and what are we up to. There we have it, another episode over. We're so grateful to you for joining us on this episode of Renovare's Friends in Formation. Now, you can head over to renovare.org to find out loads of other materials and helps and guides and insights. And of course, there's the regular Renovare podcast as well. We'd really like to have your questions. Please do send them to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at r-e-n-o-v-a-r-e dot org. Many thanks.